This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Do you find it challenging working on your collector car? Advantage Lifts has the solution for you with their selection of two and four post lifts. Advantage's two post lifts provide an unparalleled amount of versatility. Each wheel can spin freely and be worked on individually, and you'll have full access to those hard-to-reach parts of the undercarriage. And best of all, Advantage's two post lifts are ready to ship now. Get $100 off by using code TCCP for the Collector Car Podcast. Again, that's TCCP. You can find your perfect Advantage lift by calling 763-300-5730. That's 763-300-5730. And don't forget to use the promotional coupon code TCCP. CCP. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. All right, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg Stanley, and I'm excited to have someone on the call today to talk about about a very important subject, estate planning. Uh, but first, I'd like to invite and thank John Dranius for joining us today. John, how are you doing? I'm doing just great. How about you? Good, good. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on because I have been a fan of your legal files on sports car market for years. I've been reading every... That's one of the first articles I go to on sports car market. I always find... The stuff you write really fascinating. So tell us a little bit how long you've been involved with them. I have been writing that column since I think it was 2003, something like that. Oh, wow. And uh, I was just, you know, I was just minding my own business. And uh, Keith Martin suggested I should try writing a column. And I said, I don't know anything about this stuff. He said, oh, you're smart. You can just make it up. It'll be all right. So, uh, well, what's what's great about the column is there's real world situations and it's, it's like, you never know what direction it's going to go into and it gets very complex. And some of the legal issues you have with collector cars, I always find it fascinating to get your perspective. And then also, you know, what happened in the case afterwards. So it's kind of like a mini case of law and order, but in a, in the printed page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. This is real fun to do. I've learned a lot. Right. Right. I already told you, I started out not knowing anything. So I, but I've also met a lot of people, made friends. Uh, I got, you know, made some great friends that I've met through the column. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's all good stuff. So it's pretty interesting. That's awesome. That's really great. Well, today we're talking about a very important subject matter, uh, collector car estate planning. And the reason I bring this up, and I covered a little bit about it earlier in my intro um, before you jumped on here, is that as a car consultant, I run into this all the time where these automobiles that are loved for years now become a big burden, uh, especially if there's no plan put in place. So I appreciate you kind of giving us an overview. Um, but before I guess before we do, tell us, what do you do day in and day out? I know I mentioned you write for Sports Car Market. You do the Legal Files, files article. But what's your day job? I'm a lawyer. I practice law. OK, so you're you're in knee deep in this stuff every day. Yeah, mostly uh, what I do the most of is estate planning. Okay. Uh, and I've got, uh, uh, you know, I do small estates, large estates, uh, collector car estates, uh, non-collector car estates. That's, that's my day job. 
uh, just a lot of business law work, you know, tax law and stuff. And, uh, you know, and uh, I do, you know, quite a bit of work with car collectors, but I try to keep that a small part of my practice. So it stays fun. If it became the only thing I did, it would be my day job. Right. And, right. Uh, so, so it's kind of, it's, it's a good balance, you know, it's always kind of fun to get a new case and it's always fun to help somebody. And, and it's, it's not exactly work like the normal stuff I do. Right. Right. Well, I guess a great way to start this, and I know we have a lot of stuff to reference here, but say a client walks into your office and say, you know, they say, Hey, I have a 20 car collection. Um, what do I do with it? You know, when I pass away, what's the best way to liquidate these cars or to disperse them, you know, appropriately and, and move on. So they're not a burden for the family that's left behind. I guess that's the best way to look at it. What would, what would, how would you walk them through that process? Yeah. They say, or they say, well, I'm just going to leave them to my kids. Cause I know they really want to run or something, you know? And, uh, but you know, I've had this conversation a lot of times with people and, uh, yeah, you know, I tell them it's a, it's kind of a typical standard conversation, you know, it's just, you know, they're not like stocks. You can't just call your stockbroker and tell them that you want to sell everything because the markets are going down the crapper. Uh, you have, they're, they're difficult, you know? Right. So first thing is, do your, does your family understand cars? Cause it's, you know, they got it. They got their peculiar needs. And then uh, the second question uh, is, does your family want them? Right. And they find a lot of times when they start thinking about it, they, they find out that they don't want them. Uh, and then the last question is, can your family afford them? Right. Uh, so a couple quick little stories. I, I have a longtime friend and client who had this uh, E-type Jaguar that he kept forever, never left the garage. Okay. I was trying to, uh, uh, I, was, I was trying to convince me how to sell the car because I had a friend that wanted one, <laughs> and uh, uh, so we talked about it. And, and he said, "Well, you know, I promised it to my kids. My kids really want this car." So he says, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to him about it." So he calls up his son and says, "You know, I know you always wanted that car, and uh, but you know, I got an opportunity to sell it. But I, I think I'll just give it to you." And he says, well, geez, dad, that's great. But, you know, we don't, we don't really have a parking space for it. And right. we just, uh, we just had a new baby and blah, blah, blah. He says, just go ahead and sell it. So, right. Right. so we sold the car. Uh, and then you've got, you know, the, can your kids afford it? Yeah. You do the math, you know, whatever your estate is, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, uh, divide that by the number of kids. And that's what each of your kids is going to inherit. Now, if you give your car collection to one of the kids, that's maybe a half or two thirds or three quarters of their inheritance. Uh, it, does, does that really make any good financial sense? So, so they're tough. I mean, they're dealing with cars is really tough. You gotta, you gotta maintain them all the time. They go bad sitting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, the last thing you ever want to buy is a car that hadn't been driven in a long time because uh, you got to fix everything. Uh, they're a negative cash flow asset. Right. You spend money fixing them 
they don't generate any income. They might go up in value, but they don't produce any cash. So it's a negative cash flow thing. You got to store them, got to insure them, you got to do all that stuff. Uh, if you, you know, you have to value the use because that's, right. that's your profit that you get to use the car. And if you're not a driver, then there's no benefit there. Uh, and they're, they're not necessarily liquid. Right. Uh, you know, lately it's been pretty easy to sell a car, but it's turned a little bit. Yep. And everybody's got a car collection and they, they know you guys and all, but, um, you know, not all of somebody's cars are really capable of fitting into an RM auction. You might, might get three or four out of the 10 and the rest you have to sell on Craigslist or something. I don't know, bring a trailer or whatever you got to do, but it takes, it's not that easy to, to liquidate the cars sometimes. Right. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And we have had some situations such as that. Um, you know, it's a lot easier in the situation where, you know, what this is an outstanding collection. Um, you know, I want to make some plans in advance. You know, we, we do have some options where, you know, we can have the meeting saying, hey, you know, when that time comes, unfortunate time comes, you know, the owner knows where they're going to sell. They know what the fees are going to be. They know what the shipping is going to be. You know, so it takes it off of the plate of the family to worry about it, you know, and it's such a big sense of relief. I have many situations where I have car, a lot of car friends and, you know, they say, hey, yeah, I got three guys. I want me to sell their car when they pass away. And he's like, I don't want that. I don't want that responsibility of selling my buddy's car and hope to get a good amount of money for his family. You know, uh, yeah, it can really be a difficult conversation and and turn those uh, items that were those cars that were so enjoyed for so many years into just like this lead anchor on the family, which is, you know, nobody wants that for the family. Some people will say, hey, what do I care? I'm not going to be here. But if you really you know, care about your family, you want to put some stuff in place prior. Right. Right. Exactly. If you want to, you know, if you got to be realistic and what's going to happen with the collection when you're gone. Uh, and if it's going to get sold, uh, then you have to help your family be able to, to get the value out of the cars, you know? Right. So, and you can't just leave it to, to your wife or your oldest kid to figure out how to do it. You've got to, you, you got to get uh, somebody or some group, on board that would be advisors to the family that would be able to, to step in at your, after your death and help them get the money out of the cars and not have to sacrifice sell them. Well, sometimes, uh, sometimes you have that conversation with a car collector and they get all kind of frustrated about it. They said, well, why don't I just sell them all now? Yes. Right. You know, and I'll just make it easy for everybody. And a lot of, you know, a lot of collectors are liquidating their collections right now. You know, yeah. it's it's a strong market. It's, it's been. Uh, they know how to sell them. Uh, you can get out of it. They're not driving them as much as they used to. All kinds of things, you know. But, uh, but if you sell them now, then you've got a tax problem. Right. You know, it's all gone up in value so much uh, that the gain is a capital gain. And you've got to pay tax on it. So you've got a, uh, the profit at the federal level is taxed at 20% maximum, but then there's that 3.8% uh, 
uh, net investment income tax. So it's 23.8 federal. And then uh, depending on what state you live in, you may or may not have a state income tax. You know, if you're fortunate enough to live in California, you get to pay the highest income tax in the country, which is around 13% on top of the 23.8. Right. Uh, but if you're a little smarter and you live in Texas or Florida, there's no income tax. So you're, you're only paying the 23.8. But if you keep the cars until you die and you pass them on to your family and they sell them, uh, well, the cars are part of your estate and they get valued for estate tax purposes at whatever they're worth on the day of your death. And that becomes the income tax basis for the car uh, or, their, or your family's cost, if you will. So when they sell them at their value the next day, there's no income tax. Right, right. So that's the big trade-off that we have in estate planning today. You know, if you move appreciated assets uh, at your death, there's a basis step up and the income tax goes away. If you sell them before you die, you pay the income tax and then what's left gets taxed in your estate as well. So there's a big difference in tax uh, when, when you sell during your lifetime as opposed to after your death. Yeah. And, and walk me through that. Cause I know like you would have to worry about possibly the cars going into probate, unless you're actively putting them in a trust, like tell us what's the best way to prepare to transition your cars to your family upon your death. Uh, is it setting up uh, the, the cars in a trust and, and what are like some of the, I don't know if you can ballpark the fees to take a car through probate. Like, I don't know what it would even cost to take like a hundred thousand dollar car through probate. Um, do you have any insight on that or, or just what's the best way to do it? Well, probate, uh, you know, probate's a, a real emotional thing with people. You know, it's, it's gotten a, a super bad reputation and a lot of that reputation is well-earned. Right. It depends on, on the state, you know, but um, uh, some states have a, a pretty simple probate process. Uh, probably the uh, one of the easiest ones, for example, is Washington. Uh, one of the worst is California. So no surprise that the living trust uh, panacea developed in California. So uh so here's so let's talk a little bit about what probate is. You know, if 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 you get run over by a truck tomorrow, right? <laughs> uh, you own stuff, and uh, you leave it to whoever your will says that you left it to. Uh, so that's all well and good, but when you look at it from the standpoint of the rest of us, we say, okay, well, it's too bad that Greg's died. And we know that Greg wanted this stuff to go to these people, but how do we get it from debt, from Greg to the beneficiaries? How do we get the title transferred? Right. Um, and the answer to that is the court transfers the title in the probate process. So you go to, you go to court and open a probate so that ownership of your stuff can get transferred to your estate beneficiaries. And then the other element is that um, uh, we can't let 
all of your stuff go to your beneficiaries without getting all your creditors paid first. Mm, right. So you might owe a lot of money to people and they deserve to get paid. So probate is the process, uh, the legal process where the court supervises the administration of the estate and make sure that all of the debts get paid first and they and the court determines who the beneficiaries of your estate are. Uh, not everyone's will is clearly written so that we can understand what they meant. Sometimes you have to interpret it and that kind of thing. And then at the end of that process, all the bills are paid, taxes are paid, everything. Then the court orders the distribution of the assets to the beneficiaries. So the expense is uh, typically 2% or so okay. uh, paid to the executor or personal representative and typically the same amount paid to the lawyer that does legal work. Okay. Uh, uh, that's pretty much the, the California system. It's a little cheaper in Oregon. Uh, lawyers don't get paid as much. The personal representative gets paid about the same. So, so you know, think two to five percent, maybe, but it could be more depending upon the complexity of the whole situation and, and what happens if you have lawsuits, will contests, outside uh, claims and stuff. Then all of those numbers can go way up. So, what would be the best way to avoid probate? I guess is the next best question. Well, the best way to avoid probate is with a living trust. Okay. Yep. So you, um, uh, you, you create a trust, you're the trustee, you transfer all of your property to your trust, you transfer it to yourself. So, uh, you know, your cars, your house, your stuff would not be owned by Greg Stanley anymore. It would all be owned by Greg Stanley, trustee of the Greg Stanley Trust. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then when something happens to you at your death, a new trustee steps in to pick up where you left off. And there's no court process required there. The new trustee just takes takes over and then distributes the property out under the terms of the trust as you specified in the trust. So the trust works like a will. But it's sort of self-executing. You have a successor trustee that takes over and just does what the trust says. You don't need a court. So can you be? Can you, can I be on the trust along with my wife? So if I were to pass away, she's automatically, or, yeah. or you know, kids if there's some kids involved, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You'd be the you you could you could have one trust for the two of you. You 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 could have separate trust, one for each of you. Um, You'd be co-trustees. If anything happens, one of you, then the other one is the sole trustee. So it's really pretty simple, uh, in the sense. Uh, but you can, but you have to actually have the assets owned by the trust for this to work. If you leave something in your own name and it's not in the trust, then you have to go through a probate to get it from your individual name over to the trust. Now, what's the cost ballpark to say set cars up into a trust like? Get it all set up. Um, if you, uh, I don't know, it, it depends, uh, depending on the situation, and because you got to do all your estate planning in the trust and and all that. But typically, I'd say five thousand ish, three to ten, something like that. Right. So a lot um, less than paying two to five percent 
on your oh, cars if you have multiple cars, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. So it, so it's uh, it, it's better. Plus, it's private. Probate is a public record. You know, I mean, you know, we uh, you have to file an inventory. You have to report what's going on. You have to file an annual report with the court, and everything that goes to the court is a public record. Right. Right. Sometimes you read in the paper about how somebody died and left in the state at this amount or that amount or something. And that's how they find out. They just go down to the courthouse and get copies of what was filed. And then right. it's in your estate. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't like that and for good reason. Right. Right. And there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of sharks uh, that uh, read those records too, you know, and then it, somebody dies and, the door starts getting knocked on. Somebody wants to help with this or help with that, or they got great, you know, great opportunity for an investment and all that stuff. So, uh, so the family can can become a victim in those circumstances now. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I mean, you know, the the living trust is a great way to save a lot of money and keep it under your own control and keep it private, right? Right. Uh, but it doesn't save you any tax money. Right. That's Right. I mean, you'll own everything. Yep. And uh, cars actually get taxed, you know, they get taxed kind of heavy. Uh, uh, so uh, if you think about it, uh, well, you, you probably wouldn't have thought about it yourself. This, I do this all the time, so I think about this stuff. But the, the tax rules are, are not real favorable. Uh, you get some valuation problems. You know, so there's the the estate tax regulations are pretty clear that personal property, which and that's what a car is, uh, jewelry is the same thing. It gets hit even this it's even worse with jewelry, but all of this stuff, any personal property, uh, is valued for estate tax purposes at its fair market value. And the regulations say fair market value is basically retail. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now you're in the car selling business, so you know there's a big difference between retail and wholesale. I but see. It, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it, you know, I mean, you guys, uh, uh, you guys get a lot of money for the cars at the auctions. You, you know, you just uh, amazed the whole world the other day with that Mercedes at 140 million. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Uh, you know, that was, you know, I mean, there were some special aspects to that transaction, I'm sure. But, you know, if, if you take a, if you take a car to an auction and the buyer's bid, including the buyer premium, sure. yep. a million dollars, the seller doesn't get anywhere near that million dollars. You know, you got to pay a seller's fee. Uh, you got to, uh, you got to buy the slot in the auction. You got to send the car there. You got to be there to answer questions because you do better if the owner's there talking about the car than if it's just sitting there all by itself. You've right. got stuff. You got to fix stuff up. You got to detail it. You got to fix everything that could be wrong with it or something. You know, when you look at the, the there's a big spread between. Sure what it sells for and what you actually put in the bank at the end, but you get taxed on the big dollars on what's, uh, you know, what it sells for or would sell for without consideration. You can't deduct sales commissions and that kind of thing. 
Sure. Right. Right. So it gets hit pretty hard. Uh, and even if it's in a living trust, um, it's still owned by you. So the asset that's reported on the tax return is the Ferrari. It's not. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's why, so that's one of the reasons that I often push my clients into putting their cars into LLCs. Okay. Yep. Mobility companies. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that you can do with that. Uh, but uh, as fundamental point is if, if you own the whole LLC, then none of this works. But if you break up the ownership, uh, perhaps with your wife or with your kids so that you have separate ownership interests in the LLC, then the asset that gets reported on the estate tax return is the LLC interest. Okay. Oh, okay. So you own an LLC and the LLC owns a bunch of cars, but we're not really valuing the cars. We're valuing the LLC. And the way that an LLC is valued uh, is by looking at uh, its income, which there won't be any, uh, or you look at the uh, net realizable value from a liquidation. You look at the net asset value, that sort of thing. And, and there's no real good uh, law on this, but the current, there's some recent cases that have really uh, involved corporations that are kind of helpful here. If you look at it and say, well, you know, the regulations say that you don't get to value a car uh, based on the net value after the sales cost. But we're not valuing the car, we're valuing the LLC. And to get to that value, we look at, okay, well, how much could you sell the cars for? What would your expenses be? What would be left over? And that's what you would get in the liquidation. So that, I think, gives you a pretty good opportunity to use the net value rather than the gross value in valuing a collection. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So just so I get this right. So say if it's not there, you have to have the like you would, would call it the retail value. Whereas as an LLC, it's more of, you know, here's, you know, what's it worth with my cost against the car. Um, so there could be a significant gap between those two numbers, right? Right. So the question would, if, you know, if I died with a, a interest in an LLC, the question is how much would you pay for that interest in the LLC? Uh, it's not how much would you pay for the cars because, right. uh, that's not what we're valuing, value the LLC. So, so, okay, how much would you pay for that? And the way you would figure out how much you'd be willing to pay for it, we say, well, okay, I could, I could buy this, get all the cars sold, pay off all the bills, get all the expenses paid, liquidate it, take the cash out, and I would end up with X dollars. So that's the value of the LLC, which is a smaller number than what the cars would all sell for at an auction. Right. Okay. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate you walking us through that. Okay. That's really good. Well, what else do we need to cover from an LLC perspective? Uh, well, if it's, uh, you know, if you can design the LLC and, and if you spread the ownership around the family so that your wife and kids own parts of it or trust for them, which, which is just as good, then you can make your interest a minority interest if you evaluate just by yourself. You know, if you have a 40% interest in the LLC, uh, when somebody goes to sell it, 
you know, they're going to get less because it's a minority interest. You don't get to call any of your shots. Right. It's not marketable. You can't go sell it to anybody. So it gets discounted for lack of control and lack of marketability. So uh, let's say you have this big round number, say it's a, a million dollars of cars in the LLC and you own 40%. Well, that's 400,000. But you'd have to give a discount to whoever bought that because uh, the buyer with a 40% interest can't possibly force the sale of the cars. Right. And there's no marketability. So, so that $400,000 interest might only bring, uh, you know, two fifty or 300000 if you actually sold it to a third party. So that's the LLC interest value for estate tax purposes. Right. Okay. So you might not actually sell it, but you're just ballparking it for tax reasons. Right. It's valued for tax purposes at what it would sell for if you sold it to a bona fide purchaser. But you would still have to capture the other two parts, the wife and the daughter, let's say the total 100%, you still have to capture that eventually, right? Or they would have to capture it. Oh, you want it because you're their piece, everybody's piece is captured in their estate. So, so everybody is, uh, uh, everybody stays a minority. In this. I got you. Right. So you don't leave your 40% to your wife so that it makes her 40% and 80% interest because then she doesn't get a discount. You leave your 40% uh, to a trust for your wife's benefit. Right. So it it combined with her 40%, for example. Right, right. Keep okay. everything into discrete minority interest. Right, okay. Okay, no, that's really great. Now, I know that we have some questions that were submitted. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover just from a state planning overview before I get, to, I, we answered most of the questions, so I'll try to pick out the ones that we didn't answer, but is there anything else you wanted to capture first? Yeah, let's get those and then, you know, I, I, I could do three more hours if you wanted me to, I suppose, but, <laughs> but everybody will, you know, be gone by three before that happens. So let's get, let's get all your questions. And then if we've got more time, we can talk about more stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of these we've answered. What do I do if I have a will? Since my family knows about my collection, do I need to do anything? There's the big yes. Uh, let's see. How about who needs to be involved with the planning? Uh, you need, honestly, it, it's not, uh, the, con the, the, the legal concepts are not really all that difficult, uh, but the practical application and everything is really pretty specialized with cars. So I think you need, I, I think you need somebody on the planning team who, know something about collector cars because uh, it's just not going to be very easy to to do that you know so right. uh and you know for example i've consulted uh with uh four clients with their norm their regular estate planning lawyers and uh help them kind of tweak the estate plan so it fits the cars fit into it right you know i, I do that a lot and the, the lawyers that I work with and I both do the same stuff every day and, you know, and 
when, and we do the same things when the client has a stock or bond portfolio and where they have a lot of real estate and stuff, but they get, you know, I kind of surprise them when I start talking about what to do with the cars because they don't understand the cars. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's good advice. Someone that knows more about it than your average person. Um, Okay. No, that's great. Uh, Let's see. Another question was, what's the best way to title my car? So that obviously would depend. Are you setting up an LLC? Are you setting up a trust or are you not? Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, what that, the question presupposes that they're going to get titled, which is like a big deal. Right. That's true. Need to get your cars titled. Yeah. You know, I've seen, uh, you know, I've I've worked with people where they, where the last title issued on a car was in 1970. (laughs) And, you know, and there's 12 bills of sale that stacked onto it. And nobody ever titled the car because nobody ever wanted to pay sales tax on it. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's kind of a mess. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get your estate in order, um, you need to get all the cars titled, you know, so, uh, and it's a, it's a sales tax issue. So you can title them in a Montana LLC. Uh, if the cars were to be parked in Oregon, you could title them in Oregon. So there's approaches to it where you can, get them titled without having to pay a sales tax. Uh, but it's, but you got to do something because uh, you're kind of creating and transferring a big mess when you just got these, uh, what we call open titles. Yep. You're better off, you're better off getting a title on the cars. Uh, and it should be titled to either your living trust or the LLC, if you're going to use an LLC or, you know, I could be joint with your spouse if that's the way to go. But um, usually that's, you know, with the, with the dollar levels that we're talking about with these cars, that's probably not what you want to do. I think you want to do something that's kind of tax advantaged. Right. right. Uh, you don't want them in your business. That, could, that creates all other kinds of confusion. Okay. Uh, because you, uh, you know, they're not business assets. So if you, you know, if you have them in your company, uh, if when you value the company for estate tax purposes, you know, say you have a you know, company that makes widgets. Right, right. And it also happens to have this car collection. Uh, you know, the standard appraisal methodology is that you look at the cars as non-operating assets. So you, uh, which is the same as like you have just a, just a pile of cash right. or right. some bonds in that company, you know, so it's, it's clearly not part of the operating business. It's just owned by the company. Right. So take those out of the company and set them aside mentally value the company as though they weren't there and then add the value of the non-operating assets to the value of the company. So you don't get any valuation breaks. Okay. And then when they're in a company and you want to take them out, there are often tax consequences to that. Um, You can't give the cars to a 
a specific person because they're part of the business. You know, they go to whoever the business goes to. And if you try to force them to be pulled out of the business, you might be creating some, some bad tax consequences, depending on the nature of the business and the form of the business. So, so that's not a good place to put them. No, no, I'm glad you said that because I've run across quite a few collections that were tax shelters, you know, so to speak. Yeah. You know, at, at least at the time that they bought them, that was the, the thought process. So, okay, you mentioned something that I've always wondered about. So I've heard they're really clamping down on getting a car titled in Montana. <laughs> Can you go over how people do that, why they do that, and why they're clamping down? Well, you know, I've, I've heard about that for a long time, and I think they, they're catching on. So there's a, so Montana, uh, so the, t- the states that that really play into this are Montana and Oregon. And, um, and if you think about it, um, you know, if you, if, if you own a car that you keep at your vacation home someplace in a different state, you know, um, right. you need guys on the East coast see this a lot because your states are so small, you know? So, so yeah. you, you know, you live in New York and you keep a car in Vermont or something, you know, you title it, in your home state and nobody thinks anything about that because it's your car and you live in New York. So you title it in New York or something like that. Um, well, and Oregon has a little bit different approach. It, it says, well, you can do that. You can title a car wherever you live, but you can also title a car in Oregon if the car lives in Oregon. Okay. Uh, so if you've got, you know, if you live in California, you have a vacation home in Oregon, you keep a home, keep cars or vacation home, you can title it in Oregon. Uh, kind of a common sense thing. Right. Montana takes it like a mile further. <laughs> and it says you can title the car in Montana if it is owned by a Montana organized business entity. And it doesn't matter where the car is or whether the business actually does any business in Montana. If it's just organized under Montana law, you can title the car in Montana. So, uh, so you live in California, you form a Montana LLC, you title the car in the name of the Montana LLC, you get, there's no sales tax in Montana. Right. Uh, you get a title and a registration and license plates, and you're probably going to spend like 350 bucks or so doing that. And now you got a legitimate title and a registration and license plates, and you didn't pay any sales tax. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I help people do this. It costs $2,000 plus the registration fees. So, uh, it works lickety split, but it has one really big limitation. And that is? <laughs> that is that your title is valid in every single state of the country, except the one you live in. Really? Yeah, because as soon as you bring the car yeah. to the state you live in, your state's law says, oh, well, now that you brought the state, car into your into our state you are required to title it in this state right uh, and some states 
say you have to do it immediately. Some states say yeah, 60 days, 90 days. Something. Right. And when you title it, they make you pay a use tax. And the use tax is equal to the sales tax. So, uh, so that kind of takes all the upside out of it. Now, California has a pretty uh, useful exception in their law. They say that if you bring the car in, but you've used it outside of California for at least 12 months, then you don't have to pay use tax when you bring it in. So, so I have uh, uh, clients in California that I help, and they keep their cars up here in Oregon. Uh, or they keep them in a different state, title them in Montana. Uh, you do it either way. Uh, and you keep it outside of California for more than 12 months. And then after 12 months, you can bring the car into California and title it in California. You don't have to pay a sales tax. So just not that I want to help people <laughs> avoid taxes or anything, but I'm curious to set up an LLC in Montana. Don't you need a, you need a physical address or a PO box, anything like that? Yeah, yeah. You, use a, you have to have a registered agent in Montana. Right. And there's uh, there's all kinds of people up there, businesses that will serve as your registered agent. And, and that's it. You just need a post office box, basically. Right. Okay. Well, ironic. Well, not ironically, but happily, we covered all of the questions that came in. We had about 12 questions, and those are the only two I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit more. Uh, is there anything from a collector car estate planning perspective you feel like we haven't touched on yet you would like to like to talk about? Um, well, I got my favorite technique, which is really kind of complicated. We can go into that if you want. You well, now to... I want to hear it. It's your favorite, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, I'll tell you what I like. What I think to me, what's kind of like the, uh, the you know, the holy grail here is that you, uh, you know, my best idea about how to plan for a significant car collection is to use an LLC to own the cars and and do that in conjunction with a what's called a grantor trust. Okay. Uh, uh, so what? So we you start by putting the cars into an LLC, and then the second thing that you do is you gift parts of uh, a substantial part, all of the LLC to a trust. And it's a kind of a specially designed trust called the grantor trust. Uh, it's an irrevocable gift. And the, uh, the interest in the LLC that's owned by the grantor trust is outside your estate and you have to report it on a gift tax return. And you know, if it's if it's big enough, you have to pay a gift tax, but everybody has a $12 million exemption plus wow. your spouses. So, uh, so you got a lot of room to work with, but whatever value is that counts against that exemption. Uh, but it gets the interest out of the estate. Okay. Uh, and the trust is uh, designed in a way uh, where it's treated as a grantor trust. And typically you do that by giving you a power to take the substitute other assets for the ones that are in the trust anytime that you want to. Right. So, so if, it's gotta be equal value for value. 
uh, but uh, and you don't ever have to do it. You just have to have the the power to to do it whenever you want to. And that flips the switch and makes it a grantor trust. And even though it's an irrevocable trust, even though you don't own any of the things that are inside the trust, uh, you are treated as the owner of all of the trust assets for income tax purposes. Okay. Right. But not for estate tax purposes. Okay. So, so now you got this kind of Frankenstein situation <laughs> where uh, the cars are all owned by this LLC, but the LLC is owned by uh, you and your grantor trust, which means it's all owned by you for income tax purposes. Okay. So, so how this, so it's a long foundation to get to a, a punchline here. So how this, so how this helps you is that uh, any transactions between you and the trust are uh, not really taxable transactions. So what would those transactions look like? Uh, so the, the, well, the one is that you would lease the cars back from the trust, from the LLC. Okay. Because, you know, you want to drive them. You want to take them to a concord. But more importantly, the LLC needs money to spend on the cars. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. And, uh, you know, when your kid's trust owns the bulk of the, the LLC that owns the car, good luck getting them to cough in the money to pay for the new set of tires that the car needs. Or this right, or right. So, so, how to finance this thing. So, so you, um, you lease, you pay the LLC rent for using the car. Well, since it's a grantor trust and you own everything inside of it, you own the whole LLC for income tax purposes. So when you pay rent to your own LLC, you're just paying rent to yourself. So it's not rental income, it's nothing. Uh, it's not a gift, even though it, it's money going into the LLC that actually, you know, increases the value of the trust. It's not a gift because you're getting, you're buying the use of the cars. So you can funnel money into the LLC in order to maintain the collection, pay the insurance premiums, pay for the storage costs, all that stuff. And you're not making a gift and you're not creating any income when you do it. Right. Wow. Yeah. I can see why that's your favorite. It takes a little while for my brain to wrap itself around it. But yeah, I can see that because you're, you say you're, you know, you're leasing, you're whatever, you're paying a couple hundred bucks a month to use the cars, but that money is, you know, being used to maintain the cars, but it's going through the LLC, you know, like paying the LLC. So I can see how that would kind of balance off and be beneficial to do so. Yep. Wow. Okay. Now, if you didn't do that, you know, if you just, if you had a, a non-grantor trust and you gave the LLC to the trust and then you kicked in the money to take care of the cars, well, then now you're making more gifts to the trust every time you put money into the LLC to pay for expenses. So uh, this kind of gets you around that. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a, um, these are all kind of mainstream estate planning techniques Right. That just get put together in a combination that works really nicely with collector cars. 
Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Well, I, I do want to ask, and I'll have all this information in the description of the podcast and YouTube video. What's the best way for uh, my listeners to find you? Uh, best way to find me is to uh, email me. Okay. It's uh, john at draniuslaw.com. Uh, or just call me, uh, 503-496-5550. Okay. Like I said, these will be in the description so you can find John and he can help you with this, your estate planning. So <laughs> I know there's a lot of collectors that listen to this podcast. So uh, he'd, had his, he'd his advice and uh, he's a great person to reach out to if you have questions. So, well, John, thank you so much for uh, being on the Collector Car Podcast. Well, thanks. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.